Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We are a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. We look forward to sharing this journey as God is making all things new. Hey, everybody. I'm Fonz, one of the leaders here at Detroit Church. And I'm so excited that you guys have invited us into your homes and into your spaces. We continue our series called Epiphany, which is an expositional study throughout the book of John. Now, in case you don't know, expositional just means that whatever it says, that's what we say. It means we're not reading into the text. We don't bend the scriptures to make them apply to whatever we think we should talk about, but we are actually saying exactly what the scriptures say. They're alive and they speak to us presently and relevantly. And it's our job to comb through the scriptures so that we can know what our God has to say about us. So join me in the book of John, chapter three, we'll begin at verse 22. Bible says, and after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Selim because water was plentiful there and the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, this moment we see in the scripture, if you uh, read too fast, you could almost miss it. It seems sort of subtle. But this uh, is an incredible moment where they've made a minor thing, which is this discussion, this dispute over purification, which really isn't the issue. The actual issue is that they get a chance to come to John the Baptist and express something that's on their heart, which is Jesus has come where we are and he's baptizing like us. And everybody now is going to Jesus. Jesus. And they experience in this moment uh, the exaggeration that any of us can experience when we allow fear uh, to tell us a story that we believe. They're saying in verse 26 that everybody is going to Jesus to be baptized. And the truth is, we learned in verse 32 or 23, rather, that people were still coming to John. So what happens here? This is the exaggeration that fear produces. It's F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. This idea that things are far worse than they really are. And if we're not careful, just like uh, the disciples of John, we can be those people who allow ourselves to dive down the well of what ifs. And in moments like this, you can picture the worst case scenario and make that your reality. Their fear in this moment is that they won't be able uh, to continue their ministry if Jesus comes and it starts to take what they believe is their serving opportunity or their ministerial call, which is baptizing people. What I love about this passage is that John uh, doesn't panic. He exercises great leadership and great love and tenderness. He doesn't backhand his disciples and say, what? Are y'all serious? This is Jesus we're talking about here. What he actually does is he starts to by leading them in the way that he lives and what he uses even for his ministry. We'll read it right here. His first response is, uh, it says in 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. In other words, there is no such thing as success apart from God granting it. 
This is incredible because there are some of us that feel like and we believe we're bootstrappers, right? We've taught ourselves, we've learned, we've pulled ourselves up and we have produced whatever experience we're in now. And we feel like we've done a good job and, and we deserve to be recognized in some sense. And in this moment, John, who at the time is a very famous speaker, like John is known. He's not a nobody at this point. Uh, he's a little weird, right? With the whole Eden, honey and locust and all of that. But he is known, right? He's the kind of person that, you know, you stay away from in terms of your formal dinner parties. But he is someone that people come to when they're ready to experience something new and something different. John, who has some notoriety in this moment, express or expresses to his disciples that any sense of success that they've ever had is only because heaven has allowed it. Even in this moment, there's no such thing as success apart from God's granting it and his blessing it in our lives together. Let's keep going. He also says, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. Now, again, this is important because what he's telling them is uh, I know exactly who I'm not and exactly who I am. This is an incredible verse because John is helping his disciples by bringing them into a reality that he knows all too well, which is success for us, even as believers, means we have to learn to embrace our God-given limitations. This is not something that everybody does. It's not something that, that they teach classes on, but it is something that is very pertinent in the life of a disciple. We need to learn what it's like to have restrictions and to exercise faith and belief inside those restrictions. For example, on a keyboard, I love keyboards. There's 12 notes, only 12 notes. Now there's pitches, it goes up, it goes down, but it's only 12 notes. And could you imagine how foolish we would be if we sat there at the piano and we beat it because it, it, we, we, we don't like the limitations. I don't like the fact that it's only 12 notes. It should be 14 or 15 or 16. I could really do so much if I had 16 notes. But the truth is there are 12. And for us to be efficient, even as musicians, right, it means we have to embrace the limitations of the 12 notes and learn to exercise our faith and even a sense of mastery within the limitations. And John brings them into the same reality when he says, hey, I told you who I was not. I've never lied to you. I've never, ever acted like I was the Messiah. I have always been the one that would point to him. I've been the one who would turn hearts towards him, who would pee, who be a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the coming Messiah. This is what John says. Let's keep going. So in verse 28, we see John's pattern for ministry. There's even this quote by Martin Luther. He says, God created the world out of nothing. And when I realize that I am nothing, perhaps God can create something out of me too. The moral of it is we have to understand that even our restrictions are given for a specific purpose. And for us, we cannot be like John's disciples. They get so uncomfortable and so fearful because our usual method of serving God now has a change in it. If that is the way we lived and think about it, this would be one of the most dramatic times ever. It's, this has to be more than about the way we've always served, about the way our ministries have normally ran. We have to be more committed to the God we serve than the ministry through which we serve our God. In verse 29, it picks up even more. Let's look at verse 29. It says this, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. 
This is incredible. Now we see John's pleasure in ministry. It helps us understand that uh, for ministry, what we're supposed to get the greatest sense of satisfaction out of isn't what we're doing for God, but the God that we're serving, right? Hear me, if my pleasure comes out of preaching to a packed house more than it does out of being a son and obeying my father, then right now I'm in peril, right? It's hopeless because I don't have a packed house. That's just not the reality we live in. But if my joy is fulfilled when I find myself being obedient to the God I love, I can be obedient and have my joy possess full pleasure in any situation I find myself in. And that is his word to us today, not for us to be so fixated on a type of service that we forget the love affair we have with the God we serve. In this moment, the John's disciples have forgotten this, right? They're living in this space where they're actually uncomfortable, thinking that how can we be successful? We won't have as many people to baptize as Jesus takes them all, right? And John's way of really revealing their fear, revealing their exaggeration, revealing even their ministry drift in their heart is to let them in on his pleasure of ministry. And he says something incredible. He says, the one that has the bride is the bridegroom. This means this no matter how much John loves the church no matter how much he gives of his life and his resources to serve the church the truth is he does not love the church as much as Jesus does no matter how much you or I give of our resources our time our energy serving the church even right now you can't see it but there's people here there's people who have been giving their time and their energy and as much as we love it and as much as we would do it 10 times more uh, the truth is we don't love the church as much as Jesus does and here this is a reality for us if we're not careful we'll find ourselves wanting something out of serving the church because we are placing the church in a spot that only God can possess for us. We live for him. We serve for him. That is the reason why we do what we do. John helps his disciples understand that real success is not the number of people that they've baptized this month. Real success for us even isn't how many people we can get to flood a building. Real success isn't just the numbers. For us, real success is one word, obedience. All right. It's have we done what God has asked us to do? And hear me, not just have we done it, but have we done it the way he wanted us to do it and in the timing that he wanted us to do it? All right. This is important. And this is what John helps his disciples to understand. The truth is that no one else. And this is so important. No one else is ever going to speak good or as good of you as Jesus already has. This is what he has to help his disciples understand their fears and this exaggerated sense of entitlement that they have coming to John saying, hey, how in the world is our ministry going to flourish if Jesus keeps pushing in in our lane? Right. Like that kind of fear comes from this idea that the amount of people they baptize, that that numerical success will somehow add a value to their lives. It'll add some sort of benefit. And the truth is no one else can speak as high highly of you as Jesus has already done by laying his life down for you and for me so that we would know what it means to actually have a shot at a new beginning. 
No one else can speak as well as Jesus already has. And this leads us to the crowning scripture, one that we all know, which is John 3.30. This famous scripture that everybody kind of memorizes, one of the first scriptures they give you when you're a young preacher and you're coming up. They tell you, no matter how good you did, no matter how bad you did, John 3.30, he has to increase and I must decrease. And Almost like like what makes this scripture to me so interesting is John in this passage is like the the model of humility. Like he's not some prideful, arrogant guy. He's he's even through his life, right? He's lived a great example of humility. And even John the Baptist, one who's highly revered even by Jesus, even he has this understanding that there's still room, there's still more space for him to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And in this context, it's not just figurative. It's not just literative, like like it's actually a literal thing. Like John's ministry is about to subside soon. He won't be around anymore. He'll be beheaded. But Jesus ministry will be moved to the forefront and will be elevated. And John's pleasure was him getting to have a hand through his obedience and God's ultimate plan and his purpose. And even for us now, this is not just some cool saying. It's not just something that should be on shirts. It's a reality that we have to live in. And what it really means is that we have to have this ongoing, continual lifestyle of constant transformation. It means we can never get to a point where now we don't need to die today. Now we don't need to decrease. We have decreased enough. No, there will never be a day that you're breathing that you not, you're good. Your pride is in tech. Everything is good. You don't have to worry about decreasing. Jesus is as big as he going to get in you. No. There is always more space. There's always, always more room. And this is something that John helps his disciples to understand. And even us today, we have to understand it as well. I think when we see this passage, I think it makes sense, even looking a little bit ahead or, or, or uh, ahead to our Nicodemus passage that we talked about last week. Uh, Jesus actually starts to testify of himself in his conversation with Nicodemus when he says, hey, uh, if you don't believe me when I'm t- talking about earthly things, how will you believe me when I tell you about heaven? Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one knows what heaven is like except he who was sent from heaven. And this is actually where John the Baptist takes the conversation with his disciples. Let's look at it in verse 31. Scripture says this. He who comes from above is above. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. What is this? John is actually prophesying in this passage. He's actually testifying of who Jesus is. He's saying Jesus is not an ordinary messenger. Jesus is not a prophet from around the corner or up the street. Jesus is from heaven. He is sent to us from God. In this passage, he's telling us the supremacy, the authority, the preeminence of Jesus. He's making sure that his disciples know that that this Jesus that they spoke about when they said that the one across the Jordan, like they're doing the thing 
thing you insult somebody by saying them but not saying their name. Like he's telling them who this Jesus really is. And he's letting them know this Jesus is not just from here or now. He has always been and will always be. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus is not the solution to a current or present problem. Jesus is the solution that existed before we ever knew we had a problem in the first place. And the scripture tells us that believing in him, taking his eyewitness account, Jesus isn't telling us something that he heard. He's not telling us something secondhand. He's telling us what he has actually seen, what he's actually witnessed. And even John says here, some people will reject him. Some people won't receive his testimony, even though it's firsthand. He's prophesying, letting basically us in on what it will be like for Jesus to be rejected. But still, his message will be true and anyone who believes him will be able to say of a surety that God is true and that God is real. Let's keep going. Let's pick it up in verse 34. The Bible says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, this is an incredible passage because this is one of the first times that we see the connection between belief and obedience. Now, up to this point, it seems great. Even in the book of John, belief is mentioned in some way or another about 98 times. Uh, but belief, as important as it is, doesn't mean as much unless we believe so much that we obey. It seems like maybe a given thing that if you believe something, you would naturally obey it, but it's not necessarily true. This is one of the reasons why I think fear is so important because fear uh, without belief is really nothing. Like it's literally nothing like your fear requires you to believe in it for it to have some sort of weight or, or tangibility without that. It's just, you know, a fleeing vapor, if you will. Fear is always calling for your faith to make it credible, to make it legitimate. And if you starve your fear, if you don't believe the false evidence appearing real, if you don't believe it, you'll find yourself more available to the things of God, to the things of faith and more available to obey what God has already told you to do. Looking back over John 3, one might say that this is a must-read chapter in the Bible. There's four prominent musts that we see. The first is the sinner's must. You must be born again. We see this in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. The second is the Savior's must. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. This speaks prophetically of that day of Calvary where Jesus will be hung on a cross, where he will literally, he who knew no sin will become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of Christ. All right. Uh, the sovereign's must. This is he must increase. And then the servant's must, which is I I must decrease. All right. The truth is, as witnesses of Jesus, no matter what our ministry looks like, all that word ministry means is service. So however you live, however you serve, the truth, the ultimate truth is that 
it all should point to Jesus. That in anything you do, how you work at your job, how you go to school, even digitally, right? Like how you hang out with your friends, even virtually on your life groups and whatever, like all of it should point to one person, Jesus. Everything we do should ultimately speak about our love, our hope, our trust, all being in one person, Jesus the Christ. All right. So the truth is, as witnesses, uh, none of us are the focus. I'm not the focus. You aren't the focus. Corona, COVID-19 is not the focus. If you notice, it's the first time I've said it on purpose, because that is not what we're focusing on right now. This is not about just the virus. Yes, we want to be wise. Yes, wash your hands. Yes, we want to obey the laws of the land and all of that. But most importantly, right now, it's about us trusting and obeying a God who is not surprised by this and who still requires us to trust and obey, even in the midst of this circumstance. So I want to encourage you, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, please do not let fear take this opportunity for you to see God manifest his blessings, his work, his dealing in your heart as you trust and you obey. Thank you, guys. I love you. Thanks for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and rate. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Detroit Church.